You've carefully selected your seeds, started them in just the right conditions, prepped your beds, weeded, harvested, and then perhaps created a value-added product with your produce. But as you get ready to take it to the farmer's market, the question you may be stuck on is how to price it. Fortunately, today you're going to hear from a couple of South Dakota's specialty crop gurus for determining a price that is fair for you and your customer. Chiara Potra and Michelle Grosick of Bear Butte Gardens Farmstead, LLC, will share considerations and methods they use for their garden and store. I'm your host, Laura Kaler. South Dakota Specialty Producers Association is made up of growers, consumers, and others interested in producing, marketing, and supporting South Dakota specialty crops, meats, and locally made products. This podcast is made possible through a specialty crop block grant SDSPA received through the South Dakota Department of Ag and Natural Resources. This season, our podcast theme is Growing Here, how South Dakota producers can have a profitable market garden. Thanks, Kiara and Michelle, for joining us today. Glad you're here. Thanks for asking us, Laura. Yeah. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about Bear Butte Gardens, its products, and your roles there? Yeah. Um, Bear Butte Gardens is 120 acres. It's basically our whole little farm. We kind of just call all of it Bear Butte Gardens. And um, we're organic certified. Not all of our products are certified, but the pasture, hayland, um, all of the land itself basically is certified and then a few of our products. And then the rest of the things that we grow and sell are grown organically, but not necessarily everything is certified just for market reasons, really. Um, we've lived out here since 1996. So this is our family farm and we raise our kids out here. Uh, we didn't start the actual Bear Butte Gardens business until 2011. And at first it was just uh, vegetables and we certified those right away in 2012. And then since then we've been kind of adding products into the mix to go along with growing organic vegetables. Um, I think what else is pertinent here? Uh, we added our the farm stand that Kira and I are sitting in right now and commercial kitchen and vacation rental in 2020. And so up until then, we were just kind of selling our products through out of our garage and out of freezers, or I'd set tables up once a week for CSA customers and that sort of thing. And then eventually we, we added on the farm stand here. And that's when I came into the mix. <laughs> that's the, um, I actually came on in 2021, um, as a apprentice for the commercial kitchen manager position. Um, and I actually graduated out of that uh, Department of Labor apprenticeship um, in 2022, I believe. Um, and so now I'm just the regular old commercial kitchen manager. <laughs> so when setting prices, do you feel that most producers tend to overvalue or undervalue their products? This was an easy question for us. Yeah. We both immediately <laughs> said undervalue. Definitely. Um, there's just a lot of people that, uh, a lot of factors that people overlook when they're trying to sell their stuff. Um, and especially if they have an overabundance of it. I think a really good example is eggs. Um, because, you know, you hear of people, oh, well, I have so many eggs right now. Like, just $3 a dozen is fine. And um, that kind of 
there's like no thought that goes into like what your feed is, how much time it takes you to tend to your chickens, that kind of stuff. Um, which is fine if you're selling to your neighbors, but when you're going to farmers markets with that kind of mentality, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. What are some of those overlooked costs? Like you were saying with the feed and your time, what do people tend to not take into consideration? That was, that was also an easy question. <laughs> yeah. I reviewed through these right before, <laughs> before we you know, started talking with you. And um, we both said labor. Hardly anyone really, even we don't fully adequately value our labor all the yeah. time. And um, we try to get better about that mm -hmm. all the time each year. And, uh, you know, I think Rick and I are probably the worst because we're the owners and it's just, we're just doing our normal chores. We're just doing our normal things to, you know, keep the farm running. So then with Kiara or, you know, Teresa or whoever says, okay, but how much time do you actually spend doing this a day or a week or you know, what are all the inputs that you're putting into that and how much do those cost? Then it's, it's hard. It's very hard for me to value my labor. Um, mm -hmm. you know, some days I think it's worth, uh, $50 an hour. Some days I think it's worth $5 an hour. <laughs> so, and I think that's a very common thing in probably just the Midwest because we're just so humble. We don't like talking ourselves up. Like we don't, like putting prices on, we don't like thinking that we're valuable. Um, and that's just a common, a common thing in our area, I yeah. think. And with that, the opportunity cost too, that if you're not out gathering eggs or weeding your garden, what else could you be doing with your time? So is it really $10 an hour work or not kind of goes into that. But so from there, what do you do? How can you help people out? What advice do you have for, what's the process that you use for determining uh, the price of something, maybe like a jar of pickles or whatever product you might be doing? I think, so this is, this question can go either as simple or as deep as we want to go. Um, it kind of depends on the person. I mean, in my opinion, you know, if you're just starting out with trying to figure out a very baseline cost for something, the number one thing that you have to consider is the cost of ingredients or your materials. Um, because you want to make sure that you're at least covering that. Um, and then, of course, labor. I always am a big fan of labor. And if for me personally, because I am crafty, I like to make things. So what I do for determining how much I technically should be making um, is I break down like my monthly bills and estimate what that costs me per month or per, per day. And that's how much money I should make on this amount of time. Um, but I think labor and materials are the number one, number top two things that you should consider. Um, but I, so whether that's making a list of your materials and just breaking it down from there, or I personally really like spreadsheets and Google sheets because you can use formulas that automatically add everything up, divide it how you want it. Um, but for people who are not into spreadsheets and those based spreadsheets scare them, definitely just like a list works too. So I've seen your spreadsheets and they are impressive. Um, for those who are looking that more complex route, what are some of the columns that you are considering when your complex spreadsheets that you use? 
Yeah. So um, I actually break it down by product um, because we don't have just like the same five things. Um, so like for a jar of pickles, I have at the top dill pickles and then it has a list of ingredients um, in one column. And then the next column actually has um, like the quantity that the recipe calls for. And then the next column has the I have it breaking down by um, cost per quantity. So for example, let's say cucumbers in pickles, right? So if it, the recipe calls for five cups of chopped cucumbers, sliced cucumbers, then I have it break it broken down by um, cost per cup. Um, and then I, that's a whole nother spreadsheet that I could get into <laughs> that I keep track of and I update on a regular basis. But um, and then I do that for every um, every ingredient, and then it automatically calculates the quantity to the price and puts it out on a final column. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the bottom, it adds it all up. And then um, I actually have another further down, I have another section for um, labor. So you can adjust the price of your labor. So depending on who's doing the job, if you're having a, mm -hmm. um, a person that's starting at minimum wage, do the job, you can have that, whatever your minimum wage is, or if you have a manager doing it, you can put their wage in and then um, the amount of time that it took and that'll automatically calculate for you as well. Um, and then at the bottom, I also have a section for profit margin. And I think that's also a big thing that people forget to incorporate into their prices if you're actually making anything on it or not. That's like the next step. <laughs> but that is a good it, point. So how do you decide what that profit is going to be at? Um, so usually um, I kind of play around with that. Um, so I actually have it calculate within percentage, which took me a while to figure out on the spreadsheet how to get it to do that. But I finally figured it out. Um, and so I will actually start with like 100 percent markup and see what the price comes out. And if my gut tells me that, wow, that's really expensive, then I'll cut it back to 50. And if I, and if I kind of feel like, oh, that's probably not enough, then I'll go somewhere in the middle. Um, but that's just kind of personal preference, I think, on profit margin. Um, we do a lot of comparison to similar products available in other areas as well, um, just to kind of, like if we just have no idea a ballpark for a price, we will go and look at other things online and see what other places like ours are charging to kind of stay in that competitive range. But that's kind of something that, because I don't think as a producer, I don't think you should compare yourself to other people because you don't know what they're calculating into time, labor, their materials. Like you don't know what their profit margin is, but. Absolutely. I feel like when people are setting their prices, the default action that they want to do is just go to the store, see what the store is selling it for and set their price accordingly. And so you yeah. still do that comparison, but just after you've done your own work to really figure out what you need. Yeah. yeah. And with our, with our products that we do here, say we'll talk about the jar of dill pickles. You know, we, we realize that the first several times we do a new recipe or a new product, we're going to be slow at it. And it's going to be as expensive as, as it's going to get for us because yeah. it takes us, you know, just longer to get through all the steps of it. 
but then we try to figure out, well, you know, if this is the recipe we're going to go with and we do this um, 20 times, by the 20th time, we're going to have it down to a bit of an art form. And what will be the time commitment to it then? And so sometimes our prices change as we go, because at first it's like, wow, this took, you know, first time you made bagels. I was just going to say it was, it's a multi-step process and it was like, yeah. bagels are really expensive, but yeah. And you know, as our spring rolls, um, but then as we go and, you know, one or both of us gets better at doing something, then we're more efficient with it. Yeah. And we can kick out a lot more product in the, in less time. So then our price adjusts accordingly. Yeah. Yes. On Monday, I just made a batch of 32 bagels. Um, and I had never done that many before. So I was a little kind of like, I don't know if it'll turn out good or what. Cause, but when I did it for, which was like six months before this, that I did bagels and I only made eight <laughs> and it takes the same amount of time to make eight that it does 32. Well then, you know, per price per bagel is going to go way down when you make 32 instead of eight, just because you're dividing it by a bigger number. And so now I need to remember to sit down and reprice our bagels. <laughs> so with perishable products or like with produce, when determining the price, do you have to take into consideration items that won't sell before they go bad? Is that built in or is it just kind of part of it? You, you do have to get that consideration. Um, so our situation is, is kind of nice here because if it's produce you're talking about, we have our kitchen. And so we can process that produce um, immediately. If we feel like these tomatoes are starting to get a little soft, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to just waste them. So let's go ahead and start making tomato sauce or, or whatever the products may be. So that's why we built the commit the commercial kitchen on was so we could do those value added products with, with the local foods that we would bring in. Um, there are some things though that, well, like bread, if we make a bunch of loaves of bread, and this was a learning curve for us, that fresh bread with no preservatives in it, mm-hmm. it really doesn't last very long on the shelf whatsoever, yeah. you know, if it's not sold within a day or two. And so then we finally learned that, well, day one, um, it can, it can, you know, some loaves can be out there just on the shelf, but then pretty soon, if not day one, immediately, probably that evening, we're going to put them into a cooler because that will hold them for mm-hmm. several more days at, at, at a wonderful, you know, they still taste good. It's still great bread. Yes. And then we're going to freeze them. So we've got this plan now that, you know, or, or baked goods of any sort, brownies, whatever, that, mm-hmm. that they can be, they're not very shelf stable at all. So what's the plan? And then ultimately, if this product goes stale, like bread, then we're making um, croutons for salads or bread something crumbs. like that. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're grinding it up into um um, processing it into breadcrumbs to use it for making meatballs or something like that. Yeah. So all the things, I guess, like a real kitchen, um, a working restaurant and kitchen, they kind of know all of this stuff, but we've kind of learned it all from trial and error here. Well, and it's a little different for us too, because we don't order anything from trucks. We don't get big bulk stuff in that, you know, unless it's like sugar, and we still get that from an organic source and sugar doesn't really ever go bad, but you know, like we don't get bulk random meat shipped to us. So it's just one of those things that 
the challenges that we face with those types of things, other restaurants and uh, food establishments aren't dealing with. So it's kind of a learning curve that nobody really knows the answers to <laughs> in today's world. <laughs> and that's a good point, though, like that little extra cost for local foods and supporting these smaller scale producers is that you're paying for encouraging that learning curve and realizing that that's just part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. A small yeah. store. We've learned a lot of lessons. One of the things that we have found is probably our most expensive things to figure into cost, and it changes all the time, is packaging. Mm -hmm. And just the containers, yeah. whether it's the mason jars. I mean, we all went through the COVID mason jar situation. You know, the prices went, I mean, prices on mason jars were the same forever, it seemed to me like. And all of a sudden, they are now what, $6 more for a flat of jars, you know, and that's, that's kind of where they stayed. And, um, and, and it was hard to find them, but then just, uh, we like to use biodegradable stuff as much as we can. So if we make hummus, we put it into these little biodegradable plastic type containers and, you know, just narrowing in on which container is the right size container that we want for the right amount of hummus for someone to take home with them. And then, you have you end up with like five different companies that you're ordering all these different soup containers, hummus containers, salad containers from, and even just silverware. It is just well, like throwaway. I feel like yeah. we waste so much time just yeah. trying to figure out the right container for products, mm -hmm. and and we'll find something, and then I'll say, um, do they have a an earth friendly one? And Kira's like, okay, I'll go search. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so then when we find one. Guess what? We have a spreadsheet that we keep all of them in with the links so we yes. can just go in and click yeah. on. But then sometimes they change. Sometimes they discontinue oh. the product because not enough people buy it. And then we have to start the process all over again. <laughs> but I do see like at farmers markets and vendor fairs and that sort of thing. I see vendors that have just these adorable containers that things are in or they're all different. They're not consistently the same. And I think, well, they look really cute, but are they really keeping track of the price of all of that stuff and just the time that it takes you to find that container. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, that should all be put back into your cost on or the retail price that you're charging for your product. It's, it's just very time intensive. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, not only that, but then you can go so much farther into adding prices to stuff. Cause like for us, for like this jar of pizza sauce, that I have hanging out on our desk. It's a really little thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a personal pizza size. Um, you know, we don't, I don't incorporate our mortgage or the electricity mm -hmm. or the gas or the water into stuff like that. Now, when we do like farm to tables and um, Father's Day brunch breakfasts and things like that, I incorporate that into the ticket cost, just like I would if we were to rent our commercial kitchen to a renter. Um, but when it comes to our little products, we don't incorporate that price at all. Yeah. yeah. So there's always more you can go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> it, it is just a huge rabbit hole. Okay. So backing it up and going down a different little rabbit hole here, you were talking about with, the, um, with your spreadsheet for pickles, you enter a price for cucumbers. Who's determining that price for cucumbers and what goes into that? Because I imagine a lot of people listening are the farmer's market perspective or um, just selling out of their garden, how do they price it? I think too many of them are just comparing to their neighbors. Yeah. So in um, 
like in our situation, I basically go off the price of either what we are buying them from the producer for, or what we would get them at Lynn's Dakota Mart for like our local grocery store. Um, just because that's kind of how I price our, uh, things that go into our value added products. Now, as far as pricing the cucumbers on the garden perspective, I'm not sure. I'm going to let Michelle give me information about that one. Yeah. And that, (laughs) that one, um, and your garden produce is organic as well. Yeah, our garden produce is organic. So that so then when she said, you know, what it was, it cost at Lynn's Conamart. But then if we say, well, we want to use actual organic products, mm-hmm. then we need to go to the local um, co-op or the local health food store mm-hmm. and get, get their items there if we can't find them from a local producer here. So yeah. then you have the that price difference as well. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so the stuff that comes out of the gardens that, so essentially everything I grow in the gardens, I sell to the farm stand now. And so I, I track the poundage that comes in and just like I would, if I was selling it to the store in town or, or a customer or whatever, I try to come up with like a wholesale price for, for the farm stand here so that we're separating that out and, and that we, you know, just in case I don't have cucumbers this year. I don't want to bottom out on, on the market because, oh, all of a sudden we're having to pay a local producer for these cucumbers. So we have to have that transaction that shows we bought them. They're very garden's cucumbers, but that we, we did pay the farm. And that's been a little, tr- that's been a little tricky and hard for me to right. remember that, that I'll bring a bunch of stuff in and put it in the cooler. And then, and then I'll think, oh yeah, I actually need to write that down, track that somehow that, that I'm a producer just like everybody else is. And so that's how, that's how I try to do it. And I, and I, you know, since I don't have much transportation to go from the garden to here, it's like 300 feet (laughs) and I don't, you know, have to um, necessarily set aside a chunk of time to deliver into the store and that sort of thing. Um, then the farm stand gets in on a pretty good wholesale price for our own produce, but just because it's right there. So how do you, how do you determine what Bear Butte Gardens sells the cucumbers to the farm stand for Mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. So, so what I do with that is um, I'm, I'm not going to go lower than another producer is necessarily because again, if we don't have it, we have to buy it from them. Right. Um, so my organic price is probably going to be the same as like a non-organic price is. Uh, and unless I'm just overwhelmed with something that we really need to process and I just don't, I don't want to deal with, with selling it other places too, then I might go a little bit lower on it. But yeah, it, so I do, um, I do have a couple places online, but if I just have no idea, like I have a bumper crop of okra this year and I can't remember what, what the price going prices was for okra a couple years ago, something like that, then I'll go online and there's like a, a co-op in New York of all places, but their price, they post their prices daily of what they pay their producers there. there. Um, and so I, or what they sell it for. So I can kind of look at that and go, well, in New York right now, okra is, you know, whatever, I don't know what it is, $4 a pound or something. Does that seem um, fair to me for the labor that I put into it? And, and usually immediately I get a sense of that's high. I don't want to charge that much or that's low. And usually 
it's the low one that I'll be like, nope, I'm going to go over it. I'm going to charge more than that because that was a lot of work for me this year. And so I'm going to charge more than that. So yeah, sometimes it's a more absolute process than it is other Mm -hmm. times. Um, That's a tricky one though, when you're kind of essentially selling the product to yourself. Right. And it is easier to look at when you're pricing a value-added product where you have more than your cost of watering mm-hmm. your garden and weeding your yeah. garden and, and the space. We were kind of talking about that when we were going through these questions, that it is a lot, in my opinion, a lot easier to price like a jar of pickles or a handmade spoon or bowl or mm-hmm. bread even than it is just cucumbers or tomatoes. Because at least how my mind sees when I think of pricing a cucumber, you have to make sure that you're tracking all the time that you've sat and weeded your garden. You have to make sure that you're tracking the time that it took you to seed your garden and plus harvest and then your water. And then if you're going to the farmer's market, your essentially delivery cost or your gas. Like to me, that's where my mind goes. And I know for a lot of producers, they're just kind of like, I just want to sell it. <laughs> and <laughs> the time marketing. We've come to. Yeah making a presence um and from one year to the next you know like the water might be totally different this year we're barely having to water our gardens here because we keep getting rain all the time that's not the case as you know what i've heard of east river and in some of the areas of the state they've been they've been really watering heavy so that's time and money into into the water more than likely depending on what their source is that needs to be figured in there yeah so for the past like two or three years, uh, South Dakota Specialty Producers has been gathering price collect or doing a price collection project where they're getting prices from farmers markets, vendors, farm stands for each produce item, and then kind of sharing a anonymous average for the state and kind of showing the range. And over the past couple of years, it doesn't seem like anything's drastically shifted. Mm-hmm. But Michelle, in the longer scale. Do you feel like produce generally stays the same year to year? Um, of course, weather is going to play a factor, but do you have to change your? It depends on the producer. I have some producers um, that I buy from that basically they they keep it the same all the time. But then I have other producers that I feel like maybe are a little more. Um, they are assessing all the extra costs, maybe their tractor fuel costs and all of that, you know, that are going up and down and, or how well their seed germinated even and how much product they have available and whether they had grasshoppers or not, all of that and their pricing accordingly. So it really depends on the individual producer. And also just here, like, I don't go sell at a farmer's market anymore. So I don't, really know what else is available at the markets until I ask other producers. And sometimes I don't know until a customer comes in and says, man, I can't find like this year, I can't find rhubarb anywhere. And it's like, Oh, good to know, <laughs> you know, that maybe um, I don't know if, you know, I, I'm not going to jack the prices up on something just because, uh, someone, you know, someone else has had failure. I'm not going to do that. But on the other hand, you know, it, it does kind of help me really, like if I'm getting rhubarb from another producer, then it's like this heads up that, you know, um, that maybe I, maybe I should be, um, paying them a little more or right. just, you know, checking into the quantities available and that sort of thing. So oh, I think last year where tomatoes were in such high demand that 
if you kept your price too low, somebody would come buy you out. And that doesn't help everybody who needs to come in and get a couple tomatoes. So that's true. And I will put limits on it sometimes Mm. too. Like if I know, especially now that I know that, you know, we need the value added products to sell through the winter time here. That's what we have to sell. And so if I know that I'm not necessarily going to be able to get tomatoes or cucumbers from other producers very easily, then when people call and say, can I buy, um, you know, five flaps of canning tomatoes or something, I'll say, I'll sell you one and Mm -hmm. the others we're going to use in our gardens here. And I'll just put a limit on it because, you know, it's, that makes sense really for me to go buy it somewhere else when I have it from our farm here. Yeah. um, Yes. Yes. Every year it's changes because different things grow better each you know, like mm-hmm. this year, last year, we didn't have a lot of cucumbers available. This year, they'll probably be cucumbers like crazy. So it'll be something else. that we. Well, in the year before that, I feel like I was swimming in cucumbers. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then like last year, it seemed like I was swimming in tomatoes. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Well, and then last year, you know, we had a couple different things pop up like kohlrabi and, you know, that were just more available in this year. There's a lot more rhubarb for us. There's a lot more rhubarb, but, and yeah, it's just, it, it changes so much. Yeah. Okay. So what advice do you have for producers who have gone through the process you described of determining their price and calculating what they need to sell it for to have a profit they're comfortable with, but then they feel like compared to the grocery store, my item costs too much. And maybe you even have this conversation. I don't know if you explained this, but your store buys from other producers. So you even buy like some value added products that you sell in your store. So if a producer comes in and they're struggling with the price that they're coming to on their item, what advice do you give them? So, um, yeah, that, the first thing I ask is why do you think your price is too high? And, and then if they come back and say, because the grocery store is selling it for less, then I say, where did that product come from at the grocery store? And, you know, around here in Mm -hmm. Sturgis, it's frequently um, off the truck from, you know, California, California, Mexico, somewhere like that. And I'll say that's, that's apples and oranges. You can't compare your locally grown price to that price. Um, If they say um, they're a farmer's market vendor, and they say another vendor is charging less than I am. And I'll say, do you know your growing practices? Do you, are they really doing an adequate, you know, research into their, into their pricing and what it costs them to do it? Um, so I always ask a lot of, I guess, maybe hard questions. Um, so for me personally, if I feel I don't know that I usually feel like my price is too high for the market because I really give it a lot of thought. I mean, there's, there's a lot of thinking time out there in the garden <laughs> and I, I really go back and forth with it a lot. And, um, once in a while I do bring something in and one of the other people on, you know, the staff says, that's not enough. You need to mark that up. I saw you out there, you know, do, you know, or, or that that's a lot more work. We all put a lot more work into that product than selling it for that. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's kind of tricky for me because I don't buy produce at the grocery store very much. I don't, I never have time to go to yeah. the farmer's market. 
So I actually kind of have to sometimes just go to the stores and just stand there and just look at like all the prices. You, you told me the other day that a head of bok choy was $8 or something, or maybe it was Teresa. I think that was Teresa. And I was like, seriously, I've got like 300 of them right now. How can it be $8 for a single head of bok choy? Yeah. You know, um, so and that's not I local. Have- Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just I ask a lot of questions about, you know, why do you think your price is too high? And if they're saying I'm not selling anything, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, then maybe your price is too high for what the market will bear. Or are you telling people that you're that you're organic or that you're not using any chemicals or you know, whatever the case may be? Are you explaining this to them? Because maybe you're just not sharing enough information with the people with the customer to help them appreciate your product. Mm-hmm. And definitely, at least in my experience, the customers that come through our door and the customers that go to farmer's markets, they want to know, they want to talk to you about the produce. They want to know how you're growing it. Like they, if you start that conversation, they're more than happy to have that conversation with a producer for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are all some wonderful points. Um, so thank you both of you for visiting with us today, sharing your ideas. If anyone wants to learn more about your store or stop and visit, where can they find out more? Um, our website is just bearbuttegardens.com. And that's the best way. We also are on Facebook. We have two Facebook pages uh, for the farm is just Bearbutte Gardens. Mm-hmm. And then the farm stand is the farm stand at Bearbutte Gardens. We're also on Instagram with the two and we don't really do anything on Twitter anymore. So, yeah. And if somebody in the Hills region is looking for a commercial kitchen to do some value-added egg, um, you also rent out your commercial kitchen space, correct? We do. We yes. do, yes. Right. So they can just get in touch. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you very much to you. Thank you for our listeners for tuning in to the South Dakota Specialty Producers Association podcast. And until next time, keep growing. <laughs>